0: And uh, we're doing a a series on doctrine. This is a very uh, important doctrine in the scriptures. Say this with me. There are themes and there are mega themes. And the return of Jesus would be considered a mega theme. That's right. This is a mega theme in the scripture. Say this with me. Three hundred and eighteen times in the New Testament alone. The return of Christ is mentioned and the establishment of kingdom. That's what it's talking about. So 318 times there's a reference of the return of the Lord, the, the, the establishment of the eternal kingdom. There's So it's, a, it's what would be considered a mega theme in the New Testament. And then if you take those 318 verses and you couple them with probably at least 80 in the New, you have well over 400 verses on one subject. That, without a question, is a mega theme. So if Jesus has this much to say about one subject, it's pretty important. Would we agree? Yes, it's very much so. We're going to talk about the end of the age. So last week, we're kind of bringing this to a close with the doctrine series and and just kind of winding it down into the things. And just say this with me. Doctrine is what the Bible teaches. Dogma is what man thinks. It's pretty much it dogma a lot of, there's a lot of opinions this subject there's this subject is not short on controversy churches divide on this subject <laughs> down the line denominations are in great division over the subject of the return of Christ if you can believe it or not but the, 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 the scripture is very clear. And if we take the scripture at face value and we take the scripture for its, which is really how we're supposed to interpret scripture is face value. If we look at the scripture at face value, it's incredibly clear. The reason there's so much division is because people don't like necessarily what the Bible has to say on the subject. It doesn't feel good, right? Say this biblically, it's going to get bad before it gets better. Or really good. But that doesn't mean that God will not protect his people. He will protect his people. So this is just an important thing to know. And so um, the the consummation of all things. Jesus is going to bring all things into a fullness. He's going to bring his kingdom in the literal form. There's two. There, uh, The Latin word is advent. Advent means coming or appearing, or the Greek word is perusia. Perusia means appearing in the in the most splendid form. So when the Bible speaks of the return of Jesus, the sign of the coming of the Son of Man, it uses this huge word, powerful word called perusia. And it means a divine appearing, an open, glorious return. And that's how Jesus is going to come back. He came the first time in a manger. right? The second time he's coming in the clouds. First time he came through the womb of Mary. The second time he's going to split the sky and he's coming through the sky. There are two advents of Jesus in the old Testament. He was considered a suffering servant. The Bible is again clear suffering servant or conquering King. The Jewish teachers of the time didn't really like the idea of a suffering servant. So Messiah is coming and he's going to suffer and die and be resurrected. Jesus said that over and over again, just as the prophet said and the Bible, spirit clearly says Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, over and over. There's multiple verses in the Bible where the Messiah is going to come born of a virgin. He's going to die and be resurrected. They didn't like that idea. The other side of the coin was this, that the Messiah is going to come. He's going to overthrow all of the nations of men and he is going to establish the fullness of his kingdom on the earth. They loved that idea. (laughs) That's a good one. Where's the kingdom going to be centered? Jerusalem. Yes, let's teach that one. And so they taught a version of the return of Christ. That's why when Jesus came the first time, if you read your New Testament, they didn't get him. There was a lot of conflict with who he was. Jesus said, what shall I liken this generation to? I will liken you to children in the marketplace who said, we played music, but you didn't dance. We sang songs, but you didn't sing with us. We mourned, but you did not join our lament. What is he saying? You're a generation that wants to put me on your own agenda. You're a generation that wants to define me or draw you into your terms. Jesus never danced to their tune. He never sang. You know, that's not what he did. Jesus loves music. He sings songs. He mourns all of that stuff. But the image that he was giving is that this generation is trying to perceive me in a way that they want to perceive me, not in a way that I am. So he is the suffering servant, came to die and be raised again in order to make a way home for those who were lost. All of man was lost. So Christ's first return is about this. The second return is about the judgment that is rightfully due upon sin itself, the curse of sin itself. That's Christ is going to bring justice. God has justice. The way that he, what he has created, there is a demand upon his creation. He is a God of justice, but justice is being, or judgment, I should say, is being withheld. The Bible says, say this with me, he has reserved his wrath for the day of wrath. His wrath is reserved. God's not judging now. I know it's hard for people to believe he's not judging Sin's judged. So what we see when people operate in sin, the consequences of sin come upon them and they think, oh, God's judging me. No, you're reaping the consequence of sin, a sinful choice, sinful people, sinful systems, good God, bad devil. You're reaping the consequences of a broken system and you're operating outside the system that God has ordained. So therefore, the consequences of sin come upon you, but it has nothing to do with God's judgment related to you. God restrains his judgment. Revelation twelve and Daniel twelve, there's a restrainer who restrains the judgment of God. But there will be a day when the judgment of God will be released. And when will that be? At the reappearing of the Son of Man. The sign of the sign of you will see the sign of the coming of the Son of Man in the heavens, and all of the tribes of the earth will mourn. And Revelation six says, When this happens, people are gonna freak out. People that don't know Jesus. It's a bad day to be that is an incredibly bad day. There's two bad days for unbelievers. The one that when they die, a bad day. Right? And then the other bad day is if they're alive and Jesus comes through the clouds. That's another bad day if you're not a Christian. Because the Bible says that they will go to the they will go to the caves and they will call to the rocks to fall upon them, and they will say, Save us from the wrath of the Lamb, for the day of his wrath is surely come. That's the fullness of God's judgment. You, you should be excited, man, because what God's going to do is He's going to set it all right. He's going to set it all right. Every, every wrong will be made right. Every tear from the eye will be dried. It will be eternal joy for the believer. There's no sorrow. You're not appointed unto wrath, Christian. You're appointed unto life and life eternal. So there is no judgment upon. There is therefore now no condemnation. Not now, not ever. You're not under condemnation. So the end, the return of Christ in this consummation of all things relates to God's judgment that has to transpire. The enemy will be, the devil will be thrown into the lake of fire. The false prophet will be thrown into Gehenna. If you were here last week, I was teaching about that briefly, about what happens when we die. And all those that are bound to him, you're either bound to the darkness of sin and the sin of Adam, which is under the rulership of Jesus, or excuse me, of Satan. Adam sin, sin was judged. Adam is under sin. Man was never judged. Sin was judged, but man is under sin. Therefore, because man is under sin, sin is judged. Man is under judgment. Sin is ruled by the devil. So that's the difference. You're either under the judgment and the condemnation of sin in Adam, or you're born again by the blood of Jesus, and you're under the righteousness standing of the last Adam through Christ alone. You're either in Christ or you're not. There's no in between. There's there's no in between. Right? There's no gray area. <laughs> you're either say, "Well, I don't even I don't, I'm not even sure who Jesus is or anything like that." The gospel's preached in all the world, but the point being is that even though ignorance, even in ignorance, you're not neutral. There's no neutral. There's no neutrality here. It's either the darkness of sin, rulership of the devil, or it's the life that is given to us eternally in Christ. There's no, there's no in between. It's either or. And Jesus, the, whole, the cross was about bringing us out. The resurrection was about providing a way out. The blood was about bringing us out of a fallen bloodline and into an eternal redeemed bloodline. That's why it's the blood. You're born of a different bloodline, Christian. You're born not of the blood of the earth. You're born of the blood of heaven. You're no longer sons and daughters of Adam. You're sons and daughters of the highest. Big difference. Huge difference. Jesus in the Old Testament, he fulfilled over 80 specific prophecies. Some would count upwards of 120, and that is highly probable. But the fat, the odds, I'm just going to put some odds up here. Say, man, I don't do math on weekends, Kevin. This is crazy. Don't don't like fry my brain. I'm not going to try not to. I don't like doing math on weekends either. No, I'm just kidding. I used to when my kids used to say, I don't do math on weekends, dad, dad, that's not the, not the time. So the odds of Jesus fulfilling eight of the 80, not 80, just eight out of the 80 is one times 10 to the 27th power. So the odds of Jesus fulfilling eight of the old Testament prophecies is this number right here, <laughs> which basically means it's infinity. This is how many people were on the earth at the time of Jesus. So if you compare how many people to the number of the, the, the odds, 300 million were on the planet. This is how many people are on the planet today, 7 billion. So you can see the odds of Jesus fulfilling just 8 of the Old Testament prophecies is greater than 3 times the current population of the earth. A mathematical impossibility. And that's 8. And he fulfilled over 80. So what he's saying is it's infinity. Infinity. The whole idea is that Jesus is who he says he is. There's nobody like him. He's not one among many. He's the one and only. He's, not, he's incomparable. Jesus and Allah are not equal. <laughs> not equal. Jesus and uh, in, in, in Krishna are not equal. Jesus and Buddha are not equal. Jesus and Gandhi are not equal. Jesus and L. Ron Hubbard or Tom Cruise, they're not equal. Jesus is the one and only. He is the one true God. I was sharing with first service, Jesus does this thing. He takes, the, he takes these really good Jewish believers, these Jewish boys who had never done anything that would ever violate. Remember, Peter wouldn't even go into the room. He would stand at the door because he didn't want to violate himself ceremonially. That's how pure, religiously pure, conscious, in religiously context, these disciples thought. They saw Jesus speaking with a woman, God forbid. Nothing in the Bible that told, that told them they couldn't speak to a woman, but the Jews had an issue with it. And so they didn't only, so not only if were you not allowed, a man was not allowed to speak to a woman in public again, say it with me, not in the word, nowhere in the word does it say that. So the Jews culturally had created a mandate that said men do not speak to women in public. And then they made another mandate that said rabbis don't speak to women at all. And so here's Jesus, right? You think that bothered him? He didn't have, he didn't care at all. He's teaching me. He's talking to a woman at the well, right? And that's why the disciples come up and they're shocked. You're like, and the woman said, why are you a rabbi talking to me, a woman? You see, she understood the cultural dynamic. Jesus is not, Jesus does not subordinate himself to cultural dynamics created by men. He doesn't. He didn't care how they wash their hands. He said, who cares? You know, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Dare you do such things on the Sabbath? Jesus is like, you think I subordinate to what you think? You think that's what I'm all about? (laughs) I used to walk across the grass. We used to live in this condo, and they were, like, religious about the grass, right? Like, like, anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, stay off the grass. You know, taking pictures out their window if you walk across the grass. I'd walk across the grass. And Sherry would go, why do you walk across the grass, Kevin? I said, the grass was made for man, not man for the grass. I'm not, I'm not idolizing this grass, man. You crazy. Anyway, side, side joke. The odds of him fulfilling these scriptures with mathematically impossible. What it's telling us is Jesus is who he says he is. He's incomparable. He dares man with everything that he has to prove that Jesus is. And he just says, prove me wrong. Prove me. If there's anyone like me, prove me. If you can find search, heaven, search earth, find another like me. There's none like him. He's incomparable, incomparable theoretically and mathematically impossible on eight alone the teachers of the time they focused on on jesus as the conqueror they didn't like the idea of him as a sufferer his first coming was about weakness the second will be about strength the first coming was to pay the price the second will be to the second will be to fully render justice judgment and justice god wills that none should perish but that all should come to repentance this is why there is a delay christian if Jesus is coming. What's he waiting for? I just told you, what he's waiting for. If he comes, it will be the consummation of all things. God's wrath, when initiated, will not stop until it reaches its fullest point. He isn't going to judge and measure. His wrath, wrath will be unleashed. He's going to do it one time and then he's going to forget about it. He's going to get it over with. He's not going to keep doing this five times. His mercy is greater than his judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So God prefers to be a merciful God, but he'll judge if he has to. And he, will cle- and he clearly has. He's already judged sin, but he must judge the system itself. The system of sin will be judged. The author of sin will be judged. And all of those who are partners in the system and all those who are partners with the author will be judged along with them. Do you get the picture? All, you're either partners in the system of sin with the devil or you're partners in the kingdom of God through the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's either or. And those who are apart from Jesus, when Christ returns, he will gather them to himself. And when he returns, those who are not, they will be judged with the system. It's not an individual approach to mankind. The, the approach is to the system of sin itself. And they will be judged in light of their participation in the sin. It's interesting. If you look at the fall of man, Adam, God never pronounced judgment over Adam. He pronounced separation, but he never, cursed as the ground for your sake. The curse was upon the system. The curse was never upon Adam. <laughs> Interesting. Because man was not created by God to be cursed. We inherit the curse of sin. We stand under the curse of sin. But our destiny is righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Our de- That is not our destiny. And God knows that. He didn't make us for that. He didn't appoint us for that. That's why he's patient. That's why he's kind. That's why he gave everything he had to provide a way home. Man in his humility, mankind in their humility will embrace this and acknowledge it. Mankind in their pride and their arrogance will deny it. Or pretend that they don't know. <laughs> I love it. I didn't know Jesus. Play the tape. Who's going to do the reels? Going to play. And the, the thoughts and the intents of your heart will be made bare. The gospel will be preached, and everything that you're thinking, this is stupid. How should I eat? This is dumb. I think this is stupid. This is dumb. It'll <laughs> lay bare the thoughts and the intents of the heart, they'll be, they'll be made known. God, it's just the way it is. The disciples were well acquainted with Jesus' return. Because it was cultural. That was what was going on in the culture. The Messiah is going to come. He's going to overthrow Rome. And he's going to establish the kingdom of Jerusalem on the earth. And the Christ, the Messiah will rule the nations. That is all true. But they missed the first part. The first part was the coming of the suffering servant. The latter is the coming of the conquering king. They didn't like the suffering servant. So they're all rallied on this. That's why they rejected Jesus. Most of the religious leaders were like looking at him going, You don't look like some conquering king. You know, you don't look like anything special. You come from Nazareth. You don't even know who your father is. We know who our father is, you bastard child. That's how they spoke to him. We know who our father was. What's the insinuation there? You don't. <laughs> you have no idea. You son of a 16-year-old prostitute who probably was raped. You half-breed of a Roman raping your mother somewhere. That was, that was common. Jewish girls would get pregnant because the Roman soldiers would rape them. Very common, highly likely. That was the, one of the stories circulated about Jesus. Where did this happen? Who did this to you? They were powerless to prevent it, powerless to prevent it. They're under an oppressive system and the Romans did whatever they wanted to. And so the Jews were very eager to overthrow Rome. Can you imagine? He's here overthrow these people now, not tomorrow, today. Peter wore a sword, didn't he? Why do you have a sword? Jesus need a bodyguard. He didn't need a sword because he was Jesus's bodyguard. He needed a sword because he knew that the prophecies of the Messiah were to overthrow the systems of the earth. And so he thought I'm with the Messiah. He's going to overthrow the systems and I've got a sword. So I'm ready. That's why Peter carried a sword. I'm ready. Thomas, you read Thomas. Jesus is going to Jerusalem to die. Thomas says, let us go with him that we may die with him. If we die with him, we'll reign with him. That was Thomas's mentality. He understood that Jesus was going to establish a kingdom. And he thought, well, he says he's going to die. So clearly this kingdom's going to be established through his death. So let's go with him that we may die with him. Right? Then you have Judas. Judas betrayed him because Judas didn't, Jesus did not do it. What, the way that he wanted him to. Judas thought, I'm with Jesus. Jesus is going to put his kingdom on the earth. This is what's going to happen. And he didn't do it. And so Judas betrayed him. Because Jesus didn't act the way he wanted him to act. Judas wanted him on his agenda. And the Lord said, it's not your agenda, Judas. It's mine. How many times do we betray the Lord? Because he doesn't do what we want him to do. And we sell him for way less than 30 pieces of silver, Christian. We turn our backs on him all the time. Maybe not under denial of faith, but we turn our back on him. We're like, I'm not talking to you anymore, Lord. You didn't do it the way I told you to do it. Come on. He was like, not me. Never did that before. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's one of the reasons why Judas betrayed him. He's like, he's not going to do it. He's not going to do it. Keeps talking about dying. I want a kingdom. I want to rule with him. I want to reign with him. You know, he's telling me he's going to die. What's this all about? If he wants to die so bad, let me help him. Matthew 24, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives and his disciples came to him, right? So, so like, I'm a student of the scripture, so the way that people talk about this stuff, like the highbrows, say this with me, Jesus never talked like a highbrow. He always talked in a manner that people could understand. You understand? That's what he did. The, the priests and the, the, the Levites and the, uh, the Sadducees and the Pharisees all spoke in these glowing, magnificent, pontificating terms that the people couldn't understand because they liked to enforce themselves in some powerful status over the people. Jesus started talking about farming. The Messiah, the son of the living God, the God of most high, comes down and starts talking to people about sowing seed and planting plants. And Herding and sheep and fishing people. Imagine the disciple the the, the Pharisees looked at him and said, Are you look at this beggar? This drunkard, this half-wit, can't even articulate doctrine. What a half-wit. Has to talk about fishing, has to talk about things. Has he ever heard my sermon? Has he ever heard me teach? I will break down the law of Moses like no other. I will articulate the Ten Commandments like no other. Surely Jesus hasn't heard me teach. (laughs) You know, often what happens when they do this. Like, okay, this is Bible school stuff. They'll say, in studying Matthew chapter 24, Jesus during his Olivet Discourse. Olivet Discourse? I can only imagine going to Jesus and going, Jesus, you're a very loquacious teacher, we perceive. And while you are expounding to your disciples during the Olivet Discourse, what did you mean? You know what Jesus would say? He'd be, okay, so let me get this straight. You're talking about when I was on the mountain talking to my disciples. That's what you're talking about? He never talked in those terms, yet somehow we try to teach people like Christians in those lofty terms, and we just kind of make them go, ooh, and ah, but we never really get them to a point where they're understanding what's really going on in the scripture. Jesus talked to his disciples relationally. He talked to them in a common language and in a language they could understood. That's why he's talking to them about bread. Why is he talking to them about bread? Because that's what they could relate to. He talks to Nicodemus about being born again, right? You got the story? Hopefully John three, if you don't read it, <laughs> he talks to him about being born again. And Nicodemus is like, how can a man enter a mother's womb the second time? And Jesus is like, are you serious? You are a teacher of Israel and you don't know this. So Jesus was talking to him on another level because he had an expectation as a teacher that he should know what he's talking about. and, and, Nicodemus didn't know, and Jesus said, What if I speak to you of earthly things and you cannot comprehend? What will happen to you if I begin to speak to you of heavenly things? What will happen to you if I begin to speak to you of things of another world, of another realm, of other possibilities? Jesus had to relate to them in natural terms because it was all they could understand. But his intention for us is never to stay at the level of earthly terms, he wants to relate to us in higher levels. And greater understandings. That's why he talked in the way that he talked. Simplistically, he's the most intelligent person that's ever been. Intellect comes from him. You know, for a man to think he's smart, Jesus says he laughs at the wisdom of men. <laughs> he says the weakness of God is greater than the wisdom of men. The foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of men. The weakness of God is greater than the strength of men. Like, you know, like you guys got some crazy idea what you think you're smart Really? I love it. Job's one of my favorite books on human intellect. You ever read Job? <laughs> Not recently, Pastor. <laughs> Surmising Job it was everybody's given an opinion about God. That's pretty much the whole book. Bad, you know. This whole scenario happens, that's on the front end, and then there's a redemption, there's a restoration on the back end. But in between those two bookends, the whole storyline is a bunch of stupid, smart people sitting around giving their opinions about the Lord. God's like this and I think God's like this and I think this and I think that no, I think this I think that I think this job This is this everybody's doing what they think God shows up He's like, okay (laughs) So if you're so smart job Where does the wind come from? You're so smart job. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the deep? You're so smart job. How much snow do I have in my storehouses? First of all, I'd be like, you have storehouses for snow. That would be like my first question. (laughs) Like snow comes, but you actually have storehouses for snow. Can you take Leviathan home like a pet? The most powerful creature that of the sea, I can lead it around by the nose. Can you do that? Where were you when I cast the stars from my hand? Surely, you know, Job, stand up like a man and answer me. You have you who have so much opinion about me. You who think you know me, stand up like a man and answer my direct questions. Job said what? you might know? I tell you all the time. Job put his hand over his mouth. There's a lot of people, a lot of Christians need to put their hand over their mouths. And it says, I speak as a fool. So Job said, I put my hand over my mouth because I speak as a fool. We got a lot of people running around giving opinions that are completely uneducated and completely unbiblical, but they're just emotional because we live in the karaoke generation. Everybody wants the microphone, but nobody wants responsibility. That's the the generation we're in. Everybody's got something to say, but nobody wants responsibility. Nobody. Karaoke generation. We're singing somebody else's song. Off tune most of the time. So Jesus is at the Olivet Discourse, convening with his disciples. It's a convention of the great prophetic significance of eschatology on the Olivet Discourse. You laugh. I mean, you have to sit and listen to lectures like this. You're like, really? What did he just say? (laughs) So they come to him and they ask him, they lay, Lord, we know you're the Messiah. And we know that the Messiah is going to establish his kingdom. When is this going to happen? That's what they want to know, right? Jesus is, they've been with Jesus for three years. They're like, we're seeing things. We know things, but we know this is really where this thing is going. When's it going to happen? And then then when he rises from the dead, they ask him the question again. Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Will you set up your kingdom in Jerusalem as the prophets have said? Is it now? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. But you shall receive power on high and go into all the world. The church has made a holy God of the return of Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't emphasize that. He wants us to be aware of it. He wants us to have full knowledge of it. But it's not a centerpiece of what we're supposed to do. He just tells us what the centerpiece is. Receive the power and proclaim my kingdom. That's what he tells them. Yeah, I'm coming. Yeah, I'm going to establish my kingdom. This is all going to happen. It's true as I said. Be aware of it. But what you need to focus on is the reception of power and the advancement or the manifestation of the kingdom. That's what he's instructing them here. So I'm here to tell you this is an incredibly important teaching and it's very clear. But, you know, we have we build we build monuments out of it. We build denominations out of this stuff. Churches divide over this. It's never meant to divide. The clear reading of the text is what we're going with here. All the prophecies dictate that the center of the eternal kingdom is going to be in Jerusalem. God's going to establish a kingdom on the earth in Jerusalem. Okay? Jerusalem. So you know, I don't know what your political leanings are. I don't really care, personally. We're a political church. We believe in the kingdom of God and the advancement of the purposes of God. And we call people to align with that. And we believe that in time, God will lead all people into the consciousness and the righteousness of truth. That's just kind of how we approach it. You may not agree, but that's just how we go about it. And so you may have some political leanings that say, and this is again, our modern generation. Oftentimes they're like, these Jews need to give the land to Palestine. I got news for you. Write this down. Put it on Twitter. Israel is not going back to the Palestinians. Write that down. Write that down. Why? Because the Lord says so. He says in the last days, I will make Jerusalem a stone that the nations will heave against it, but they cannot lift it. I'm gonna put Jerusalem at the center of the nightly news and all of the nations of the world will exercise their political power, their financial power, and ultimately their military power to try to move Jerusalem and they won't do it. They won't. They won't. They'll try. They'll wage wars. Ultimately, they'll march armies through the valley of Megiddo and there they will die. The blood will be up to the horse's neck and the bones of those who oppose this will die and they will, their bones will bleach and the vultures will consume the bodies of the dead for 30 days. The Bible says <laughs> Jerusalem's not going anywhere. People, I got news for you. Israel's not going back to Palestine. Syria is not going to conquer Israel. Nobody, Egypt's not coming. That's not going to happen. This nation was not a nation for 2000 years. God dispersed them and took away their land. And in the dispensation of the fullness of the time, he decreed they could have it back. And nobody's taken Israel unless Jesus says so. And there's no other verse in the Bible that says He's given it back. This is the final time He's given it to. Them. And nobody's taken it. I don't care if you know it messes with people's Jews. Well, I just it does not mean that Israel is right. It doesn't mean that Jewish people are right. It doesn't mean that the Jewish government is correct. Do you understand this? It has nothing to do with the Jewish people. It has everything to do with what God said. He will be faithful to what he said. Israel belongs to Israel, not because of the Jewish people of today. Israel belongs to Israel because he promised Abraham. Has nothing to do with the Jews today. Has nothing to do with the Jewish government today. Has nothing to do with who the prime minister is. God, that is an irrelevant thing. He says, I will be faithful to Abraham. The throne will be in Jerusalem because I will be faithful to David. I, the Lord, my God, the God himself, made a promise to Abraham, and I will keep it. I, the Lord God, made a promise to David, and I will keep it. That's it. Do you know why? Because he's a promise keeper, people. Have I not said it? Will I not do it? Have I not purposed in my heart? Will I not bring it to pass? He is faithful. Even if you are faithless, he is faithful. He will do everything he has told you he will do. He's that kind of God, and he does not care. Let the nations rage against me. I don't care. The Lord who sits in heaven, Psalm 2, laughs. laughs. Why do the nations rage and plot a vain thing and take counsel together against the Lord and his Christ and say to the heavens, you will not rule over us. Let us break our bonds ascender. We will not have you as my God, as our God. We will not serve you. Psalm 2, read it. It says the Lord who sits in heaven will laugh. Like, are you serious? (laughs) You actually think that this is going to happen? You actually think that you can, you can change what I've decreed. (laughs) We can influence our father because he will listen to us. So God will change times and seasons for your behalf. But there are certain immutable chain things that will not change. Jerusalem's not changing. I don't care. There's no negotiation. The leaders can go, we're signing a peace agreement tomorrow. And you'll see some crazy things happen. If They're going, we're going to turn Jerusalem back over tomorrow. They could say something like we're giving the land back. Watch what happens when they do that. (laughs) Something bad always happens because it's not God's. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. There are God delegates a lot of sovereignty, but there are certain things in his sovereignty. He does not delegate. Jerusalem is not delegatable. He's not holding this up to a vote. All in favor, say aye. He doesn't care. All in favor of Jerusalem going to the Palestinians, say aye. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. He, I'm serious. He doesn't care. It's, it's, he's indifferent to what you think. He's indifferent. He's in charge of this, not you. Well, we're Americans. We believe in voting. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Jesus is okay with he he, there's lots of things that he communes on but there are things that he does not commune on that's one of them Israel's not on the table of negotiation not he dares you read the prophets read Zephaniah Zechariah I will make Jerusalem a stone and the literal language means the nations will heave and heave and heave with everything they have to move that stone and they won't move it and the Lord will say everyone will watch I'll take a nation the size of Connecticut. I'll put it in the middle of the most volatile world. And I'll make my mark. (laughs) And the world will watch. You can overthrow the powers of France. Go right ahead. Canada, whatever. And he's indifferent. You will not overthrow Israel. This isn't going to happen. It's just not. (laughs) That's why we have to be biblicists, Christian, and not culturalists. Not culturalists. We're biblicists. We follow the Bible. It doesn't matter. I'm gonna hear it's gonna shock most Americans. This is usually if you're under thirty, this blows you out the door because you don't like this. It's not about the way you think. It's not about your opinion. As Christians, we are to conform our thinking into what our father thinks. It doesn't mean that you don't think a different way or you don't feel a different way. It means that you subordinate your thinking. It means that you subordinate your feelings to what he says, whether you understand it or not. It's true. He doesn't make you, but you're going to have a whole lot more harmony if you begin to. I think as he thinks, I see as he sees. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Seek first the kingdom and what is right, right to him. Not what is right to you. Not what is right to the culture. Not what is right to the government. Seek first the kingdom and what is right to him. Think as he thinks. Believe as he believes. And Line your heart up with that. He will grant you understanding. Most Americans are like, well, I don't understand it, therefore I'm not going to do it. It has nothing to do with understanding. Nothing to do with your understanding. He never promised to give you. He will give you understanding. Understanding is always on the back side. Never on the front side. Say this with me. Obedience... Come on. Got, I know it hurts to say that word. It's okay. Just grab the chair. Okay? If you got to, put a thing, put, bite down on your finger after you're done. Say it through your teeth. Obedience. Say, I know, I know it hurts to say the word obedience. It's hard. right? right? Let's say it. Obedience is on the front side. Understanding is on the back side. He expects obedience from, the, from his sons and daughters, whether they agree or not. He expects it. He's not, well, if you just tell me what to do and why, if you give me understanding, then maybe I'll do it. You're not getting anything. You won't. You get understanding only through obedience. Only through obedience. (laughs) Yeah, I won't go there. (laughs) So there's two concepts in the scripture. Say this with me. There's, There's the tribulation and the day of the Lord. Okay? Say this with me. All the ladies, I want you to say this with me. There's the labor pains and there's the birth. They're two different things, aren't they? Aren't they? The baby is not comparable to the labor pains, is it? Not, but the labor pains are very real. So the tribulation is the pains that bring forth the birth. You understand that? That's what's going on here. They're two entirely different things. Tribulation, say this with me. The tribulation, if you're a pre-tribber and you've read, Pastor, I have read the entire Left Behind series. If if you've read and your doctrine comes from Left Behind, I encourage you to listen to what I'm about to tell you. Right? We're going to take the scripture at a plain reading. At a very plain reading. There's two concepts in the scripture. There's tribulation and there's the wrath of God. The Christian is redeemed and saved from, eternally, now and forever, the wrath of God. We are not appointed unto wrath. There is therefore now, not ever, no condemnation. But he never said we're not exempt from tribulation. Most of you have tribulation almost every day of your life, right? You're working through something. You're dealing with things. It's not, it's not, it's not like a smooth sailing, right? I, I wish it was. I really do. I'm like, man, you know, I wish this was easier. you know. But it's not always like that. So we're not exempt from tribulations or trials or testing, but we are exempt from God's wrath. And so there are things that precede the coming of the Lord. Jesus is saying, you want to know when I'm coming? I'm going to tell you what's going to come first. So that when you see what comes first, you'll understand where I am in this timeline. I'm just going to paraphrase it for you, but you can read. Well, read it. Why not? Do I have time? I don't know. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. First thing that's going to happen and any Christ is going to come on the scene. If you read Matthew 24, and you read Revelation 6? They're identical parallels. They are two, two different chapters saying the exact same thing. Is it Revelation 6 is the breaking of the seals. The scrolls is the wrath of God. The scroll is the redemption and the title of the, of the earth. And the scroll is the proclamation of God's wrath. But there are conditions that must be met before the scroll is open. The conditions are not the judgment. The scroll is the judgment. So when God is breaking seals, that has nothing to do with judgment. Compare judgment. What God judges, sun turns to the darkness, moon turns to blood, stars fall from heaven. That's judgment. Okay. The powers of the heavens are shaken. Rivers turn to blood, cattle drop dead in the field, hail falls immensely in mass quantities from the sky, fireballs. That's, that's God's judgment, right? A war is not God's judgment. Pestilence, because of a war, is not God's judgment. Genocide is not God's judgment. Those are all deeds of men. When God judges, there is, no, there is literally no hand of man is in play. If you read the bulls and the trumpets, we got meteors crashing. We got all kinds of crazy stuff going on. You know, if you read the bulls and the trumpet judgments, which we are not appointed to, but that will come, they are completely different from the seals. He breaks the seal, the Antichrist. The second one is the war. So we have an Antichrist who goes about making war. Oh, we've never heard of that before. Have we, you know, a a leader, world leader that comes on the scene and wants to consolidate power to himself and begins a ravaging rampage of war. We've never heard of that. That's completely foreign to us. No, we see that all the time. There's types and shadows of what will come. We have Adolf Hitler, right? Very type and shadow, a type of the Antichrist. He's not the Antichrist, but he's a type, an image of what will come. He did everything that, you're, everything that he says. He consolidated power. He brought the nations together. He waged war. He persecuted. He did genocide. The result of the genocide was famine and pestilence. Huge issue. The only reason Adolf Hitler couldn't be the, couldn't be the Antichrist is because there was no temple in Jerusalem. Anybody knows the history of the war? He was driving towards Palestine. The Nazis were trying to take Jerusalem. They were trying to take Israel. They didn't make it. That was a whole battle of North Africa and all of that, Tobruk. If you know anything about that, that time period, they were wanting to take that area because they wanted to control the oil fields. The Bible says that the Antichrist will stand in the temple. So we have two things going on here we have an Antichrist, and he's standing in a temple. Right? So I'm going to back up. I'm going to come forward with this. Many will come in my name. We have an Antichrist who comes on the scene and he makes wars. Then there will be wars and rumors of wars. Ethnos against ethnos. Do not be troubled at this. This is going to come to pass. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. There will be ethnic... Diversity, And there will be kingdoms fighting kingdoms, nations against nations. But ethnic is the word that he uses in the first part. Famines and pestilences, earthquakes by various places. These are the beginning of sorrow. So we have a war leader coming on the scene, consolidating power, making war. The result of this war is famine, pestilence. That's what happens. From the famines and pestilence, there's martyrdom. He starts murdering people, right? They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. There's going to be martyrdom. What did... Anybody, okay, coronavirus, anybody know coronavirus? And that's like all the hot topic in the news. Did you read the story about the, the doctor who was warning about coronavirus? Did you read that story? He just disappeared. <laughs> Where's Dr. Ming? Dr. who? Who? Dr. who? There's no Dr. Ming here. We have no record of a Dr. Ming ever existing. The guy who warned of the coronavirus, he, like, he vanished. You know, He ends up dead. They find him. He's dead now. But they labeled him an enemy of the state. Why? Because he opposed the powers that be. This is the same thing as going on here. Antichrist is going to make wars, consolidate power. The wars are going to cause famines and pestilences and diseases. And he's going to persecute all of those who, do, who oppose him. He's going to put them to death. It's going on right now. Soviet Union, North Korea, you, you think they're being nice? They're not. They're not. Anybody that opposes their system of power, this is related basically to believers and to Jews in relationship to this. Probably the most vocal people on the planet are going to be evangelical Christians that actually know what's going on. They're going to be going, this guy's wrong, this guy's wrong, this guy's wrong, this guy's wrong. And if you're in the influence level of where the Antichrist's dominion is, he will persecute you, arrest you, whatever. You will be delivered up. You will be hated by all nations. The Christian, what Jesus is saying, there's going to be a lot of Christians that aren't really Christians. (laughs) They're going to go, the Antichrist is a good guy. Look at the peace plan that he has. Wow. Yes, I think I'll take that mark on my hand. Stamp me on the forehead too while you're at it. They're going to follow right with them. This stuff's real. This is going on right now. Amazon's doing biometrics. Did you know that? Anybody know that? Biocommerce. Amazon is embedding your financial information. They can into your hand. Into my hand? Yep. All of your financial information right now, you can Google it. They've been doing it since 2017. They're working on it. They want to put your financial information in your hand. A, it tracks you. B, it's genetically coded to you. C, it creates a cashless society. They know your spending habits. They know where you go so that they can market to you better. Well, Amazon's not being evil. They just want to market to us. Yes, I understand that. But this has the potential for going really, really wrong, okay? They're doing it right now. They were doing that cashier list. You guys saw the show, the grocery stores. They didn't have cashiers. You could go into an Amazon store, buy everything, and then on your checkout, you'd walk through a scanner and doot, it would charge your card. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, they, that stuff's real. They are They want to do biometrics on your financial data along with your health data. Everything's biometric. All you got to do is stick your hand in the scanner and you're good to go. What's your, what's your medical history? I don't know, doc. I, I haven't looked at it in years. Doot. Oh, okay, here we go. We have it all up here. Hey, yes. I'll, can I get some gas? Sure. Doot. <laughs> this is alive and well in your generation. They're doing it. They have another thing called Proximity. Proximity advertising. I know a guy whose son is working on this with financial institutions overseas. He's a huge company. $250 billion were invested in his company or a million, not billion, excuse me. 250 million were invested in this guy's company and he is doing proximity and he is doing biometrics today, <laughs> right now, the antichrist will make a mark and everyone, you cannot what buy or sell without the mark <laughs> and it's all related to commerce. Everything's commerce. They want to control it. It may not happen here, but where the, the Antichrist's end of influence is going to be centered in Europe. Bible teaches us. I don't have time to break it all down. Bible teaches us that it's going to be centered in the United, the former Europe, the former, or excuse me, the former Roman Empire. It literally tells us this is Daniel. The revival of the Roman Empire. The, 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 all of the former nations of the of the Roman Empire will unite under a common leader. They're already united. Anybody heard of the EU? We know that. When did that come about? Does anybody know? 1990, right? That, that, the EU hasn't been going on for 200 years. The EU isn't 1,000 years old. The European Union is less than 30 years old. In your lifetime, Christian, Europe has united. We take it for granted. But like prophetically, people were going nuts. I remember in the 80s, they were talking about it. And you know what the symbol of Europe is? Look it up. Look at the symbol of Europa. It's a woman riding a beast, holding a cup in her hand, literal symbol of Europa, the word Europa and the God Europa is a woman riding a beast with a cup in it. I kid you not. I kid you not. (laughs) Here's another interesting fact, just so you can see what's going on. This stuff isn't fiction. This stuff isn't far off. This stuff is very near. So not only do we have biometrics, not only do we have an EU, according to biblical prophecy, if you were, if you're versed in this stuff, you would know that according to the prophecy, The merchants of Tarshish and their young lions were excluded from this union in Europe. Well, who were the merchants of Tarshish? They were called the Tin Islands. It's been thoroughly researched. England is known as the Tin Island and is considered by almost everybody now. It was debatable before. England is now considered to be what the Bible was referring to as the merchant of Tarshish. It was the center of a merchant guild, and they believe it was centered in England. Very true. So in order for biblical prophecy to take place, uh-oh, we have to have a united Europe, but England can't be a part of united Europe. Can't. In order for the prophecy to be fulfilled, it has to, England cannot be a part of it. Can't. So people are like, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, this can't be it because, because according to the scripture, I'm just telling you what the debates are. Cause I was parts of these, I would listen to these guys and be a part of this. And they'd be like, according to the scripture, Tarsus is part of the EU and, and England's not going anywhere. England, England, that's why they don't want England to leave. You know why they don't want them to leave? Germany is the economic power or the, the material engine. England is the financial power of Europe. That's why they don't want England to leave because England, the pound is the, is the anchor currency of the whole EU. Every other currency in, in, in Europe operates off the Euro. England does not, con, they do not bow to the Euro. They still have the pound. They still have the sterling. Why? Because they're like, look, dude, we're the ones with the money. You think we're converting our cash to Euros? You got this wrong. England has always stood on the outside of this. And now Brexit. Every. Consummate cultural power. Brad Pitt just did some announcement at the movies as if anybody cares about Brexit and how it's wrong. I'm like, dude, just act. We don't care what you think about political things. Seriously, you know, I mean, go, go do a movie. I mean, you know, we like, why, why do we need you to do a social commentary about British, British people? You don't, do you live in England? Then what, what do you, and what do you know that what's best for the British people? They overwhelmingly voted to throw it out to get rid of Brexit. Overwhelmingly, their whole government changed over because the previous administration would not honor the will of the people. The people voted overwhelmingly to get rid of Brexit and to break ties with the EU. The common people, not the elites or the, the, the people who thinks they're smarter than everybody. They overwhelmingly voted. The pre- administration said they're not gonna do it. They delayed, delayed, delayed. They had another election, swept them all out of power. England will leave the EU. You need to Twitter that Twitter it. England is leaving the EU. Brexit is going to happen. Why? Because God said so. Do you understand how he confounds? He's like, let's do this. Let's form Europe. But let's just throw a wild card in there. Let's leave England a part of the EU. And let's see if anybody picks up on that. Oh, they picked up on it. Oh, they think prophecy's going to fail. Oh, what are we going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And the Lord just goes, England goes. Now we have a united Europe, a former revived Roman Empire, centered where God said it was, consolidated in power, and England isn't a part of it. Well, where'd that come from? Just like the Bible says. Crazy, right? Martyrdom in scale, 50 nations in the earth today practice open persecution against Christians. You know that? So let me just get this straight. Let me just tell you how this is. There are not 50 nations on the earth that are allowed to openly persecute Jews. It doesn't exist. Does anti-Semitism exist? Yes, anti-Semitism exists. But there are not 50 nations that are openly allowed to persecute Jewish people. They don't exist. But there are 50 nations that are openly allowed to persecute Christians. Did you know that? Did you know that? Including Israel itself. Israel, if you're a Christian, an outsider that moves to the land, you have no property rights at all. You cannot even become a Jewish citizen if you're a Christian. You cannot. Only in extreme purposes will you be. If you're a Muslim and you want to become a citizen of Israel, no problem. You're a Scientologist, you want to become a citizen of Israel, no problem. You're a Buddhist, no problem. But if you claim Christ, you you cannot be a citizen of Israel and politically and socially christians in israel are socially ostracized governmentally i'm not talking like they can't like work and things like that but they have no property rights at all they're not allowed to own anything at all at all i don't even know of any of them that hold power in the knesset i'm not sure if they're even allowed to hold elected office anybody else can but christians can including israel so i'm trying to tell you there're 50 nations in the world where christians are openly persecuted alex is from india and he has the same thing. If you're not, a, if you're not, um, if you're not of the higher caste, if you're of, of, if you're, if you're actually a Christian, and the Hindus want to seize your land, they can take it. They can take it. Your family's been in your family for 300 years. Well, your dad converted to Christianity. You lose all property rights. We want it today. Uh, in 2017. There was a. Uh, a you might heard of the Daily Beast. Have you heard of it? Daily Beast did an article on saying the persecution of Christian is an unnoticed human rights issue in the world today. This is the Daily Beast, not known for their pity or sympathy or empathy towards Jesus or the gospel in any way. Yet they say there's an epidemic and a human crisis, human, human uh, uh, whatever I just said, in the world today. <laughs> That's completely unnoticed. And it's the persecution of Christians. So if you don't think this stuff is real, it's real. It's real right now. It's just going to get amplified. This world leader is going to be a man of peace. He's going to unite the nations. He's going to unify the Middle East. He's going to come with a Middle East peace plan like nobody's ever heard. Bible tells us that Jerusalem, Israel, will sign a covenant with him. Jesus told them, I come in my father's name. You reject me. One will come in his own name. Who is he referencing? The Antichrist. The Antichrist will come in his own name. Him you will receive. Jesus told them that. Isaiah says this man of peace will come and you will agree with him. I'm paraphrasing, of course. But it literally says you'll sign a covenant of death. You'll sign a covenant with this world leader, it's inevitable. This world leader will come, the Jewish government will get behind it, Arabs will get behind it, it will be a unification process like the world has never seen. CNN, NBC, MSNBC, Fox, everybody's gonna be blasting it. There'll be fireworks, there'll be a rocket show, you know, look at the peace of the Middle East. That's what's gonna happen. Because Israel will agree and the Islam will agree. They will they will agree. Part of the agreement, more than likely, will be the rebuilding of the temple. Because that's what the Jews really want. Not the secular Jews. But the Orthodox Jews. This is again, this is cultural. This is what's going on right now. Orthodox Jews emigrated to, to Israel. They're the ones that wear the black, you know, the Hasidims, the Hasidics. Their goal is to breed their way into power. That's their goal. Their goal is that we will have so many children. That within a, within a certain period of time, we will be, the Hasidims will be the dominant population of Israel. We will hold the power of the Knesset, And we will ultimately hold the prime ministership of this nation. That's their goal. Well, the secular Jew doesn't really care about building the temple. But the Hasidics care a whole lot about building the temple. And they know that with political power, they, they can achieve some of these goals. This, this is going on right now. Not ten years ago, not ten years from now. It's going on right now. If Jeremiah was here, Jeremiah would tell you the number of seats that they just took in the last voting was, was, was epic proportions. I think they're almost 52%. They're, they're, they're either at a majority, the Hasidics are either at a majority, or they're very close to becoming the majority in the Israeli Senate or the Israeli government. Uh, this is happening. And what will happen when that happens? You're going to see a lot more religious fervor going on with Jews. Because they believe that, that God has departed from them Because they're no longer giving the blood sacrifices They believe that God has departed from them The Shekinah has not come because they don't have the temple Their number one goal is to build the temple, people Number one goal They're ready to do it now I told first service they'll have it up and running in 30 days They already have the plans They already have the vestments They don't have to research They've researched the bloodlines They know who the Kohens are They know who the line of Aaron is They know the whole deal there's two things missing, and I could get off on this, but I'm not going to. But I won't, I won't even tell you. There's one thing missing, and I'm not going to tell you about that because it'll take me too long to explain it. But I will tell you this. They're going to do probably a tilt-up temple. They're not going to lay brick. They're going to tilt up. Anybody ever watch those, watch those warehouses tilt up? You know what I'm talking about? They take the, the wall, and the wall just tilts up, and they join it together. It'll be that because the Bible tells them that they're not to cut stone on the temple mount. And so more than likely, they will create a prefabbed temple that they can, they can erect rapidly. And they will not cut stone on the temple mount, just as the Bible says. If they had to cut stone on the temple mount, can you imagine? they got to go down to the quarry. Eh, Jim, this doesn't fit. Take it back and cut it. I need another two millimeters off this stone. Okay, down to the quarry. I mean, it would take an eternity because they're not allowed to cut stone on the temple mount. The stones are pre-cut. <laughs> Jesus is the pre-cut stone. The stone that the builders rejected is the cornerstone of it all. There's an antichrist. He's going to unite all this. This guy's going to come from the Middle East more than likely. The Bible gives us an indication of where this guy's going to come from. When the Bible tells us where this guy's coming from, it never talks about nationality. It talks about genealogy. This is really important. You understand Bible stuff? He's not talking about national. He's talking about genealogical. Where are the ancestors from? That's how scripture talks. So this guy could be French-born, but he could have ancestors that go to the root of where God is speaking from. Bible tells us that the throne of Satan is in Pergamus. Pergamus is a, is a place in in Turkey. Highly likely, highly likely, this whoever this guy is is going to be Turkish ancestry. Again, if you want to look at if you want to get geopolitical, Turkey is the most um, uh, culturally relevant Muslim country, and they're part of the EU. And so it's highly likely this guy could be French but he's going to have Turkish ancestry. You say, I don't know if he's going to be Turkish. Where's he going to come from? Well, the Bible tells us this. And I'll just tell you, it's like you can't prove this and no one's going to prove it. But the, but, the, but the scriptures are there if we look for it. And this is a high probability, a high probability. He says, I know where your throne is. It's where Satan's throne is. Revelation, I think uh, two or three. God is telling this church in Pergamos, this is you're right where the throne of Satan is. The throne of Satan is called the altar of Zeus. This is crazy stuff right here. Hopefully, I can connect it in a meaningful way. The altar of Zeus was found in Pergamus, which God equates as the throne of Satan. The Greek worship, Turkish and Greek interplay. And so what happened in the 1890s is German excavators went to Pergamus. They excavated the throne of Zeus, the throne of Zeus, the altar of Zeus. They move it to Germany. They put it down in Germany in 1903. They unveil it in 1910. Unveil it. Not in any special way. They just reveal, hey, we've got the throne of Pergamus." Took them a few years to get it there because they weren't, you know, weren't as advanced with transportation as we are now. They take it there. They unveil it. 1910. That year, huge political upheaval happens in Germany. Within eight years, by 1916, 17, and 18, there was a war in Europe centered and came from Germany. Right? We move the altar of Satan. We uncover the altar of Satan. We uncover the, what the Bible calls the throne of Satan. So now we've uncovered it exposed it to the world, moved it to Germany, and now Germany becomes the center of all the world's problems. It gets better. In 1930, they completed a museum centered around the altar of Zeus. You can look it up. It's on display now. They just shut it down. They're going to open it back up again. In 1930, they built a museum for the altar of Zeus, and they unveiled the altar of Zeus again in 1930. So we have the altar of Satan uncovered, The altar of Satan exposed the altar of Satan put in the middle of Germany and 1930, it was exposed in a museum, decorated, beautiful, all this 1932, the Nazis come to power and we all know how that played, right? You understand this? And so this gets even better (laughs) in uh, 1998, the Turkish government asked Germany to give them the altar of Zeus back. Hey, we want our artifact back. Well, what's so significant about 1998 is the 50-year anniversary of the founding of the, of, the re, of the reclamation of the nation of Israel. So they didn't do this in 1997. They didn't do this in, you know, 1994. So there's, again, there's a spiritual significance. Israel becomes a nation, and Turkey goes, we want our throne back. 1950 or 2001 they do it again what's with so turkey has asked for this throne back twice 1998 and 2001 and they're in the process of trying to reclaim the throne of satan and get it zeus and get it back to turkey crazy right 2001 50 years after the establishment of the israeli government israel became a nation in 1948 they started their first government their first government cabinet was in 1951 50 years from 1948 very significant number in scripture turkey goes we want our throne back 2001, the 50-year anniversary of the first Jewish government. We want our throne back. You don't think there's something going on here? <laughs> there's something going on here, man. I'm just telling you. He will preside over a common Europe. There will be sub-states that will all come together. He will reveal himself. He's going to basically come into Jerusalem after a great conflict. So you have to have an antichrist. Say this with me. This is going to hurt. Say it. Say it's going to hurt. Okay. Some of you it won't hurt. But some of you it will. There's not one verse in the Bible that tells us that the Christian will not see the Antichrist, not one, not one. But there is verses in the scripture that tell us we will not see the wrath of God. And so the conjecture is this, because I, I know this argument up one side and down the other. Well, the Antichrist is the wrath of God. Therefore, we won't see because we're not appointed to wrath and the Antichrist is the wrath of God. Therefore, we won't see the Antichrist. That's not what it says. Read Matthew 24, read it clearly. Read Revelation 6, read it clearly. It does not say that. There's not one verse. So the Christians have this idea that we're, we'll never see an Antichrist. Who told you that? Your Bible doesn't tell you that. I know what your Bible, taught, what your Bible school teacher taught you because they taught that to me. And I would argue it with him. How is the Antichrist the wrath of God? Well, you're, you're just unteachable. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. We're not appointed to wrath. So that's why we have to distinguish the tribulation from the wrath of God. The wrath of God begins when Jesus steps through the veil. He initiates it. Again, Revelation tells, 6 tells us when the day of the Lord begins. Jesus, the sign of heaven, will be in the heavens, and all the, all the earth will see him. And the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will say, Save us from the day of his wrath, for the day of his wrath has surely come. When is that? Jesus in the perusia comes through the cloud, initiating the day of wrath. Nothing up until that point has anything to do with the day of wrath. This is what your Bible tells you. This isn't what left behind tells you. This isn't what most Bible teachers tell you. We teach an Americanized gospel that says we're just going to get out of here on beds of glory. Jesus couldn't. We use a fear mongering. Jesus could come at any minute of any hour of any day. Don't listen to that Jay Z song. Jesus might be coming while you listen to that Jay Z song. I mean, this is how dumb we are. And we oppress people with fear. There is no love in fear. Perfect love casts out fear. I'm not manipulated to follow Christ. I'm, I'm, love compels me. Externals don't compel me, fear does not compel me. I know some of you, you've been very versed in this and you've been very schooled in this and you've been taught stuff, but if you challenge it, I've sat with teachers on this. I, I was with my denomination, the group of churches that I was with, my pastor was like, you're unteachable. I said, show me where he brings in four elders and we all have a big debate on the tribulation and the rapture and I'm pushing a Bible at all of them. Show me, show me, show me, show me. Not one of them could show me one thing, one thing, because it's not true. When you see the abomination that makes desolation standing in the holy paces spoken of by the prophet Daniel, who is he talking to? all of us say, no, Kevin, Matthew 24 is written to the Jews. No, it's not. If Matthew 24, this is again, hermeneutics, this is Bible study. If Matthew 24 is written to the Jews, then Matthew 28, go into all the world must be written to the Jews too. You cannot say this chapter applies to these people. This chapter applies to these people. You cannot parse the word of God out that you violate every word, every, every, every tenant of sound doctrine. So if the whole book is Matthew written to the church or is it written to the Jews? Is it does Matthew apply to us or does it only apply to them? Matthew applies to the church. Then therefore Matthew 24 must apply to us. No, that chapter doesn't. Then Matthew 28 does not apply to us. Then we're not to go into all the world. Oh no, that's not what it says. You can't have both. You can't have both. Matthew says clearly, Jesus says, when you see this, he's talking to the Jews there. Yeah, because it's going to happen in Jerusalem. It's going to happen. The antichrist is going to step into the holy place where the ark was, which means two, you're going to have a temple. There will be a temple. They will be having sacrifices. The Jewish people will be sacrificing. They were prescribed to offer a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice. And the Bible tells us that the man of sin, when he comes, will put an end to the morning and the evening sacrifices. In order for the man of sin, the Antichrist, to put an end to the evening and the morning sacrifices, there actually has to be morning and evening sacrifices going on. The Jews will rebuild a temple. They will begin morning and evening sacrifices, blood sacrifices on the Temple Mount. It will happen. Twitter it, write it down, journal it, I don't care what you do with it, but that, that this is an immutable this is this is a fact. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. The Antichrist will center his power in Israel in Jerusalem or in uh, Europe, but he will wage a massive war campaign in in Jerusalem itself and in Israel. Why he says, when this guy comes here and he gets a widow, he puts an end to the morning and the evening sacrifices. He says, No more sacrifices. He steps into the temple and says, I'm God, standing in the holy place, the abomination. Why is he an abomination? Because he says he's God and all the world will worship him. How's that going to happen? I have no idea. But he's an abomination because he declares himself to be God and he makes desolation. What does that mean? He's a man of waste and war and violence and murder and terror who proclaims himself to be a man of peace on the front side, but this is who he is on the back side? This is gospel. This is Bible. Okay? This is what I'm teaching you. So when I used to tell my daughter, I would tell her, like, look, when, look whatever happens, happens. But when it, you know, if you're older and, you know, mom and I aren't around or whatever, when you see a temple going up in Jerusalem, you better start paying attention. Because there will be a temple in Jerusalem. And when you see that temple, you better start paying attention. Because that means it's, it's, it's very clear. Jesus said when he stands in the temple, does an end to all sacrifice and says, I'm God, some form of that. He does some, some version of that. Maybe not, I'm God, but he does some version. He eliminates all other worship and centers the worship back to himself, just like Caesar. Rome was all about Caesar. He's going to center the worship back to himself. Jesus says, when you see that, know that the end is near, even at the door. Jesus says, when this is happening, when he does this, he's going to ensue a period of martyrdom. He's going to start killing people and say, bow and worship me, whatever, however it transpires. Jesus said, in the midst of all of that, at the end of the tribulation of those days, you will see. The sun will be dark and the moon will be turned to blood and the stars will not give his light. This is called the sign. This is in every book. Book of Genesis to Revelation. The sign of the appearing of the Son of Man. Sun turns to darkness, moon turns to blood, stars fall from heaven. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Zephaniah, Joel, even Genesis. God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. You know what he said they're for? Signs and seasons. The sun and the moon and the stars are for signs and seasons. What what happens when Jesus appears in the sky? The sun, the moon, and the stars. Signs and seasons. Just like from the beginning. It's the consummation of all things. Jesus said, this is going to happen... And the lightning will flash from the east to the west. A sonic boom. And through the lightning, Jesus will step. (laughs) Come on. It's going to happen. It's going to be all this crazy stuff going on. And there'll be like a sonic gamma blast. And everything will go silent. And they'll like, what's that? And you'll hear the trumpet. God has struck the hour. This is the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout. With a shout. We think it's holy to be quiet. Jesus shouts. I don't know if I that woo the Shelly does. You know, I don't know if it's going to be like that. But he's coming he's coming for you with a shout. With a shout. He sings, he dances, he shouts, he sings. What's your problem? No seriously. I'm holy, pastor. I am revered of the Lord. I hold my hat in part of my heart. This is as far up as I can get my hands. I can't lift my hands anymore. If you're that way, just ask somebody here. They're going to help you. Listen, I really want to lift my hands and worship, but I just can't seem to get them up. Would you help me? Sure. You know. We'll hold your hands up. We'll Aaron and her you. You know, we'll like let get your hands up there for you. He'll blow the trumpet and he'll gather his elect. Where's the rapture? Right here. The rapture is. He will send his angels with the sound of the great trumpet. Second Thessalonians, the dead in Christ will rise. The sound of the shofar, he will blow the changing of the epoch. They blew the temple. They blew the trumpet on two occasions. They blew the shofar on one on the, they blew it. And it was the changing of the seasons. The changing of the government heaven's government has come and Jesus will stand and he will have the angel will blow the trumpet and he will announce to all of time and space and the world as we know it, even if they don't understand it, but the heavens will understand that the changing of government has come. The king has come and the governments of the earth are over, over, over. There will be no more governments of the earth. He will do away with them all and He will form a unified kingdom. Aren't you glad? You know, the Bible says it's epic peace. There will be no peace till Shiloh comes. He is the ultimate Shiloh. He is Shiloh. And when Shiloh comes, they will be shalom. They will bait their swords in the plowshares. The lion will lie down with the wolf. The child will play at the hole of the cobra. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. Wow, that sounds too crazy. Yes, it does, doesn't it? It sounds, say this with me. It's not too good to be true. It's so good. It is true. That's right. That's right. And he comes and he sends the angels to gather you. How are we going to fly in the air? Where's the rapture? The rapture's in Thessalonians and the rapture's in Matthew 28. What are we going to do? We're just going like, to fly up in the air? No. The Bible tells you the angels are going to come for you. They're going to come for you. Your angels are going to appear to you. Mean, I've been with you your whole life. You ready to go? Jesus is here. You want to go? When they come for me, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go, hold on a minute. I've got to get my cape. I'm going up with a cape, man. I don't care if it's a bath towel. I'm going up with a cape. I've been practicing my Superman pose for a while now. (laughs) You think I'm crazy? You're going to fly. Into the air, we will fly. We will meet him in the air and we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. More corruption will put upon incorruption. The dead in Christ will rise first. So what's going to happen? Jesus is going to appear and you're going to start seeing graves bursting open and bones flying everywhere. And people who've been cremated, you're going to see this huge, massive, surreal cloud of dust that's gathering because Jesus is reforming the bodies for the, for the redeemed. He's reforming their immortal bodies. They're with him, but because he's coming with a physical kingdom, they must have a physical body. So he is going to give them an immortal physical body, and we who are alive, if we witness it, we will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The dead will go first. And so we'll be like, what? What's going on here? You'll see bones flying. They'll be coming up out of the water. Wherever the person's body is, Jesus will molecularly regather them. doesn't matter. He knows every molecule and where it is. And go, get me Jim's body. Where is it? And that dude's scattered all over the place, man. They threw his ashes off the bridge, and we don't even know where it is. Well, go get it. Go get it. He'll bring it. And then after that's happened, and the reconfiguration of the saints who have gone before, we too will rise. <laughs> you think you're ordinary. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to put on a show. You don't think Jesus likes to put on a show? He likes to display his glory. He doesn't display his persona. He displays his glory. This is what this is about him. He is quiet, humble, con- controlled, but he loves to show his glory he, in which his glory is goodness. He shows off his goodness at every turn. You want him to show off his goodness? He won't show off to you, but he will show off your goodness. Well, show off your goodness to me. Really? You want me to show off my goodness to you? That's my specialty. That's what he, exu- he, he is exalted in that specialty. He's going to put a show on. And all of the unredeemed will see him. And they will be running to the hills and going, fall on us rocks. Fall on us. The gold, the wicked will cast their gold into the streets because it will be meaningless. Save us from the wrath of the Lamb for the day of his wrath has surely come. He gathers his people. And he turns his face in judgment. The bowl and the trumpet judgments, shallow bowls, cost that was always an indication of judgment upon nations. Bulls were always judgment upon nations, always. Pouring out a bowl, a shallow bowl, a casting a washing of my hands, a casting forth always. and he will do the ceremonial trumpets, and the trumpets are divine decrees of judgments, for the rejection of Christ, for the persecution of Israel, will all be consummated that won't be the last of it, but that will be the beginning of it. That will be the kingdom, and then there will be a final judgment at the close of the thousand years. This again, my friends, is what the Bible tells you. Do you believe it? Say this, I don't understand it, but I believe it. I'm going home and getting a cape. (laughs) I got that beach towel ready. (laughs) Hold on. You're like that, Pastor Kevin. Is he wearing a beach towel? I'll be like, I am. (laughs) Faster, Angel. (laughs) Swoop me around. (laughs) Why? How is that possible? You know why? Because he runs the veil of time. There was never a veil of time between God and man. Were always one and intimate. There was never a veil. The veil was always... The man, Adam saw angels. Adam saw the Father walking in the cool of the garden. There was never a veil between the eternal and the eternal and the, and, the, and the temporal. And so when he splits the sky, the veil is rend. And so Jesus will come through time, and that world will be exposed again. And Jesus will come, and the angels will be exposed. All of that will come forth with him. That's how it's, that's how it's possible. They aren't just going to vanish or magically appear. They're going to come through the veil of time. That's how it's going to happen. Mathematical probability. Absolutely. Rending through the time. Whoa, where these guys come from? Amen. So let me close. All right. If you don't know Jesus, we want to give you an opportunity to come to know him this morning. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he's risen from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart you believe and with the mouth you confess unto righteousness we want to do is we're going to do a prayer and if you've never confessed jesus you're not sure you don't know if you did or if you didn't this is your day we're all going to pray together so you're not going to be left out or feeling alone you're going to be with us so let's just pray say dear jesus i believe that you are the savior and i need a savior i may not understand this but i choose to believe it so i open my heart to you jesus and i ask you to come inside I ask you to forgive me, I ask you to heal me, I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you, and all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you, in Jesus' name. We'll have a prayer team available for you if you need prayer for anything. I want to make, definitely make you aware of that. And then last, but certainly not least, I want to bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. May he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a wonderful and fantastic week.